Uh, as we continue on in our study in the Proverbs, uh, for the next few weeks, uh, we're going to be covering a series of topics related to uh, the wisdom found in the book of Proverbs. And today I'll be covering the topic of the tongue. And by the tongue, I mean uh, the wisdom pertaining on how one ought to speak. Uh, and I want to begin uh, by stating that I want to approach this topic with a great deal of humility. Uh, what the scriptures say about the tongue, or about our speech, is very serious and very convicting. Uh, James 3, verses 7 through 8 says, For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now, I've, I've seen the effects of what speech can do positively and also what speech can do negative, negatively. Uh, in many cases, speech can put a person at ease, bringing about some relief to them. And in many cases, speech can place someone in bondage or even awaken anxiety and even sin. <clears throat> speech is powerful, but not in a superstitious way. Words in our speech are not to be understood in a superstitious manner. Like when you say, open sesame, and the door opens, right? Biblical wisdom uh, tells us that our words are not like those of a magician, or of a wizard, or even a witch, uh, as to having the ability to control nature with your words. The Christian does not have magical words. That's a pagan idea. Sadly, many Christians have adopted some of these false concepts into their church and into their theology. The Word of Faith movement is a group that goes under the banner of Christianity, yet teaches a false doctrine of words and speech. You may know it as the name it and claim it teaching. Uh, Frederick Price, he's a proponent of this kind of theology. He says that the success or failure of the Christian is based on the positive or negative confession that they make daily. Now, as, as wonderful as that may sound, this is not biblical, nor is it even consistent with the theology of the Bible. Speech is not to be understood in that superstitious way. However, we must never underestimate the effects of speech. And today, we're going to explore that as we, as we go through the teaching. The book of Proverbs gives us a lot of wisdom on this subject. And so I divided this subject into five points, and you'll see it on the handout. Point number one, what speech says about you. Point number two, listen before you speak. Point number three, gracious speech. Point number four, when not to speak. And point number five, speaking like Christ. Now before we get into these points, I think we need to take a few steps back and consider the theology of speech. Okay, Rather than beginning with us, with man, we should begin with the Creator, God Himself, since all coherent and effective human behavior is analogous and rooted in the Trinity, right? In the image in whom we're made. And that's our starting point for everything, especially uh, when we are trying to understand this topic of speech. Uh, first and foremost, God 
himself is a communicating being. A being who speaks, first of all, to himself within the three persons. Okay? The, persons of the, the persons of the Godhead speak to each other in the sense that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit eternally love and glorify one another. And it's in this broader sense that I consider uh, such expressions like love and glory to actually be divine speech or language within the Trinity. Uh, Notice, the Father expresses His love towards the Son and shows Him all that He does. We see that in John 5.20. The Son expresses love towards the Father and obeys His command to perfection just as He instructs His followers to do. And you see this concept in John 14, 15, also verses 21 and 23. And the, and the Spirit expresses love towards the Father and the Son as well. You see this Trinitarian, Trinitarian communication of love and glory. Uh, Paul calls love itself, for example, the fruit of the Spirit. We see that in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. For the Spirit loves the Father and the Son and is bond. Is, is bonding the love between them. Uh, as, Abraham, as Abraham Kuyper once put it, he says, the love life whereby these three mutually love each other is the eternal being himself. Okay? You have uh, the, the lover, the one being loved, and the spirit in which uh, love is being communicated within the Trinity. And we see this same divine speech expressed with the language of glory Okay, you see that, uh, for example, uh, in John 17, 5. Uh, Jesus says, glorify me. This is Jesus speaking to the Father. Glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. It was glory being communicated within the Godhead before creation existed. Now, in the preceding chapter of that, uh, he proclaimed that the Spirit also glorifies him. See that in John 16, 14. Yet, Jesus longs for the Father to glorify him so that he can glorify the Father. And you see this constant pointing of, of glorification uh, towards the other person of the Trinity. And that, that's found in John 17, 1. Anyway, the reason the Son is glorified is because he gives life to all men who are dead in sins and trespasses. You see that in Romans 6, 11. And while our life is in Christ, this life is none other than the Spirit of life, who is the Spirit of Christ, Romans 8, 2. And therefore, we can say that the Spirit shares in the glory of the Son as a life giver. Now, this divine, perpetual exchange of love and glory is what we can call a kind of communion behavior, okay? Communion behavior, which I think fosters unbroken unity among the Trinity. And this behavior is what what I have in mind when I'm, when I'm talking about language within the Trinity. Uh, there is communication within the Trinity. Uh, in, in, uh, in Douglas Kelly's Systematic Theology, um, he says this. He says that there is and has been from all eternity talk, sharing, and communication in the innermost life of God. And this is important when we think about the kind of God that we serve. He's a trinity. Uh, If God were not a trinity, there would be no communication because to whom will he communicate and in what spirit will he communicate, right? This is why a Unitarian God uh, doesn't work in theology 
the kind of God that we have is able to reveal himself within himself and reveal himself outside of himself. And this is why it's important to understand God as a trinity. Okay? Um, again, there is and has been, this is Doug, Doug Kelly's uh, systematics. He says, there is and has been from all eternity talk, sharing, and communication in the innermost life of God. And therefore, language is a Trinitarian behavior. Language is not something that creatures do when they try to create civilization. No, that's a God characteristic. And all we're doing is mimicking that. And interesting, people who reject God are, are still involved in communication. It's like they're borrowing attributes from God, uh, even at the same time denying God. But language is a Trinitarian behavior. Now, we often take language for granted, don't we? From infancy, we learn to speak, and after that, we use it and we abuse it. However, we ought to meditate on the fact that language is rooted in the Trinity. And not to get sidetracked, but this is a, a great apologetic, being that, the only, that only the Christian God is logically the only kind of God that can communicate and reveal himself. Now, the same definition of language, in, in the way that I'm using it, can be applied as an analogy to us, right? Since we are created in the image of a communicating God, a communicating trinity. God is a communicative being, a communicative being in the sense that the persons of the trinity hold a kind of eternal discourse of love and glory with one another, and it's uninterrupted. Now, we are communicative beings in the sense that we have been, giving, we have been given the ability to hold a discourse with one another, uh, but we speak in order to commune with one another, Okay. Uh, you don't get caught up with language and words. Uh, there's a goal to language and words, right? And the goal is commune or connection with another individual. Uh, and we need to communicate in order to foster communi communion with each other. Even, even if it's something like, I need to know where the bathroom is. Can someone tell me? And so you come and you connect with another individual. And somehow, with signs and symbols... They point you to the right direction, and you, your destiny has been altered, in a sense. You're, you're on a new path because you've communed with another individual. It, it's quite profound if you think about uh, what communication is. Anyway, in simple terms, God is a communion within himself. And as for us, when it comes to human language, every time we speak, we as image bearers of God practice a kind of imaging of God as we engage in communion or communion behavior, uh, which really finds its origin in the nature and character of God. And so we're, we're saying something about God as we speak. And that's, this is sort of a, 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 a premise here, an important factor. As we think about the ethics of Christian speech, uh, that we're, we're, we're saying something about the God that speaks. Uh, language always has a communal goal, <clears throat> and by that I mean that any use of language is ultimately uh, the expression of one person towards another, or towards many. And there's no such thing as a purely uh, propositional or impersonal act of communication. Every time you communicate, it's very, very personal. It's very personal. Even if you're dry in your communication, and, and, and dry in your use of words, it still communicates something. Now, considering what I've just said about language from both divine and human perspective, uh, we can say that language is a drawing together of persons made in the image of the Trinity 
as those persons express content to one another. Uh, and so what is speech, right? What is speech from a biblical understanding? Speech is communion behavior, and it's based on the character of God. And so God uses language because he himself is a communicative being. Now, being that our speech is a picture or an analogy of our speaking God, the, the question that you have to ask yourself is, what does this say about your speech in your life currently? How's your, how's your speech going? What does this say about your, your speech? Does your speech paint a good picture to the world of the God who speaks? Or are we distorting his image with our untamed tongue? This brings me to point number one in the uh, handout. Point number one says, what speech says about you? What speech says about you? If you were to have an emergency and the medical personnel arrive, the first thing that they do is to check your vital signs. And your vital signs reveal to the medic the state of your health. And it would tell them two things, whether you're dead or alive, and if alive, how healthy are you? Now, likewise, the Bible gives us a variety of tests that allow us to measure our spiritual vital signs. But the Old and New Testament, um, there's verses in the Old New Testament that tell us or or help us to test how you're doing spiritually. And it tests us to see if we're spiritually alive. And there's also passages in Scripture that tell us where you are spiritually, how healthy you are spiritually. Now, one of those tests is this test of the tongue. Now look with me at James 1, 26. James 1, 26. Uh, if someone get it, gets it, can you read it out loud? If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Thank you. So again, it begins by stating, if anyone thinks he's religious, okay, starting with that, and right away we see that this is talking to anyone who considers himself a believer or a follower of Christ. He's, he's religious. This would be a, a Christian who not only believes, but also has Christian practice as well. Right? James is not describing a pagan or an outsider. He's talking about someone religious. In fact, the whole epistle is about true faith and true practice. Right? In this, in this uh, book of James... He even challenges false profession by those who profess faith, faith, but live contrary to that faith. But as we read, he addresses the tongue here, right? And he says that if anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. And James is saying that the tongue is equally important to all other practices of the Christian life, right? He's well aware that there are many who walk upright and are committed followers of Christ in many other areas of their walk, Yet their speech betrays them. And this is a person who knows how to walk as a Christian in all the external ways, but his speech reveals something else. It reveals something contrary to that. Uh, And James says that they, these kinds of people, they deceive their hearts and their religion is worthless. And this tells us that the tongue is a kind of test of, of a true heart change. If you want to see where someone is at, where someone's at spiritually, listen to how they speak um, and, and listen carefully. 
And, and following this, I want to look at two verses. Uh, you can turn to it or not, or you can just jot it down, but Proverbs 15, 7 tells us that the lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the hearts of fools. So you notice it starts with the lips, but then it says, not so the hearts of fools, meaning that uh, those who, uh, who are not uh, careful with their mouth, those who speak uh, the opposite of, of knowledge and uplifting uh, uh, content with respect to God, are people who have uh, foolish hearts. Another passage is Matthew 12, 34 through 35, where it says, uh, these are Jesus' words. He says, You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his, out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. And I always find it interesting that uh, as Jesus talks about good speech, he starts off by calling them a brood of vipers. Um, and it may seem ironic, right, that he's talking about um, the things that come out of your mouth, but he starts off by saying, you brood of vipers. And, and we can learn a lot from that, right? We see that good speech, right? He, he's saying, you know, uh, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? And we see that good speech isn't necessarily the same thing as being nice, right? He's calling, he's saying, uh, you brood of vipers. And then he goes on and says, how can you speak good when you're evil? And so, uh, again, we learn that good speech isn't necessarily the same thing as being nice. We need to always keep that in mind. Niceness is not the same as goodness. Niceness is shaped by society and is shaped by culture. And as much as I personally value niceness... Uh, it's not to be confused with goodness, right? This often gets very confusing in church settings. Um, we trick each other by thinking that just because a person is very nice and soft-spoken, this means that they're godly and their hearts are pure. That, that's not the same thing. I think it's, it's good to be nice, but it's not the same thing as being good. And Jesus knows the difference. You know, He was right in calling them a brood of vipers. And I, that's right. Amen. And you see those, the differences there. Yep. Amen. And I think niceness can serve as a grace towards uh, one another, but it must not be confused or even demanded from one another as in the same way as goodness ought to be demanded from one another. You see that? Nevertheless, we see from these passages that speech, whether you're speaking directly or indirectly, uh, it's only a test of the state of your heart. Right? And the solution to corrupt speech is not merely to watch your mouth. Right? It's not just, i got to watch my mouth. That's not the solution to corrupt speech. Rather, it's to watch your heart. Okay? And first of all, you need to be born again in Christ. Uh, you need your heart to be transformed by the gospel. Uh, and secondly, you need to recognize that your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, as it says in Jeremiah 17. And as John Calvin put it, man's nature is a perpetual factory of idols. A perpetual factory of idols. And this is to say that the heart, your heart, will make an idol out of anything. Out of anything. And the tongue will always serve the idols of your heart. So you want to 
guard your heart first and foremost. Okay, let's move on to the next point. Uh, the next point is listen before you speak. Listen before you speak. Now, I'm sure you've all experienced this, right? As you're speaking to a person, they cut you off to answer you. <laughs> Has that ever happened to you? While you're talking to them, you're trying to explain something to them. They just cut you off with an answer right away. They didn't even let you finish a statement. Now, there, there may be many reasons for this. Oftentimes, the listener is probably very impatient or nervous about being confronted or possibly feels that they don't need to listen to you. Uh, I remember teaching a children's class, uh, and before I could finish my question, a little girl had her hand raised up already. And I would stop, and of course, I would grant her permission to answer. And she would smile, like right there with her hand up, and she would smile, uh, embarrassed, and say, um, what was the question again? You know, it, it, and I would laugh, of course. But, you know, it was obvious that she was more interested in being the first one with her hand up and and. and wanting to be the first one to say something. Uh, but unfortunately, this, this doesn't always stop in the children's classroom. Sometimes uh, many adults struggle with being slow to speak or, or at least listening well before speaking. And the Proverbs tells us that it is wise to listen well. Right? Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. That's a fool. A person who only wants to express their opinion. And no pleasure in understanding. Proverbs 18.13 says, If anyone gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Proverbs 10.8 says, the wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. And then Proverbs 1.5 says, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and, then the, and the one who understands obtain guidance. There's an emphasis on being, being quicker to listen and less quick to speak. And from these verses, we see that a wise person is patient in listening. <clears throat> they take communication seriously. The wise person is not, all, is not necessarily caught up in communication for communication's sake. Rather, the goal is towards true understanding of that other person. Right? The goal of listening is not to be the grammar police, right? Or the speech police but rather to serve the other person and doing all you can to understand what they're trying to communicate to you. And we need to be pure listeners. Pure listeners. And not deceptive listeners. Right? The sinful heart wants to be deceptive, not even in speaking, but even in listening. You can listen and hear what you want to hear. And that's very deceptive. We need to be pure listeners and not deceptive ones. We must not attempt to hear only what we want to hear or even more than what we want to hear. For example, a person in an argument will twist the other person's words and when, uh, when they knew that that was not the person's intention. Now, even though the, the person who spoke ultimately has the responsibility to communicate well, that's their responsibility, it is still the goal of the listener not to read beyond their words unless it is to give them the benefit of the doubt, as Paul 
tells us to, that love believes all things, right? In a sense, we, we should always take their word and believe all things. And we do that as an act of love. But we never want to go beyond their words. We don't want to read too far into what they're saying. We want to take, them for, take their words for what they're saying. That's how we serve our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and we get this concept from 1 Corinthians 4, uh, verses 5 through 6. Actually, can someone turn there and maybe read it out loud? Uh, y'all can turn there. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4, verses 5 through 6. Thanks, Jeremy. Uh, therefore, do not go on passing judgments for the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will bring both to light the things hidden in darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then man, each man's praise will come to him from God. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes, so that in us you may learn not to exceed what is written, so that none of you will become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. Thank you. So, just a little context. In the Corinthian church, uh, there was a great issue of division among the members there. And part of the problem was this issue of people assuming motives of other men's hearts, right? Now, it's important to know that speech is meant to be plain, plain, without deception or manipulation. When you talk, I know it's hard for, for all of us, but we, we need to try to learn to speak plainly to people and, and avoid deception and manipulation. We need to speak purely and honestly. And this verse shows us that we need to be patient even in listening and speaking and trust that God himself will, in the end, reveal the motives of that person. Don't, don't try to analyze them too deeply because you're, gonna, you're going to come uh, with some false conclusions that can possibly conjure up some bitterness against them. And I say this even to married couples. When you're married and you, you're communicating with your wife or your spouse, don't j- just take them by, from their word and don't try to go beyond that because anything beyond that is evil. We must not exceed beyond what is written. Let God deal with the hidden things. We can sit back and trust and rest. It's actually a very helpful and restful uh, concept. It, it should bring some ease to your heart and into your mind. When you can walk around, take people's words, you know, and, and, and let God do the judging afterward. Yeah. Yes. Amen. Yes. Yes. Right, exactly. And I, I, I'm glad you brought up that point, that it kind of places the burden on the person who's speaking to be a little bit more responsible, uh, to make sure that they're speaking honestly and purely. And let's just say you, you tell yourself, well, I struggle with speech because I'm trying to say the right things all the time. Well, if, if you're worried about people misunderstanding you, spend more time meditating and dealing with your heart in your private and personal life so that when you're in the public, it, you, you're more free, and you can be free to, to sort of relax and, 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 and speak because you know that you've been working in your heart. And, and Yeah, go ahead. To the point, we should never have to use the word honesty because then what happens with everything else you say. Exactly. No yeah, that's a good point, yeah. I, 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 I think about some of the interviews that we do at my job with new employees, and uh, at some point of the interview, they're like, honestly? And I'm like, I hope so. <laughs> But, <laughs> right, yeah. I hope you're honest. But, you know, I get it. These are habits that we, we have. And sometimes we use the wrong words to express the right things. You know, some people say honestly as a way to communicate to the other person, 
you know, I, I want to show you that I'm being vulnerable and I'm being transparent. I get it, you know. Yeah. Um, but it's true. It's a funny thing that we have these bad habits uh, and we should, we should work on uh, eliminating that. But you do that in your private life. Um, you do that as you allow the word to purify your hearts so that you can be much more transparent and not have to worry about, did I say the right thing? You know, that sort of thing. Okay, uh, moving on. Uh, point number three, gracious speech. Gracious speech. Now, we talked about listening. What about speaking? Uh, when it's our turn to speak, the Proverbs gives us wisdom on how we should do that. I want to look at some verses. I'll, I'll, um, I'll ask a few of you to volunteer. Can I get someone to read uh, Proverbs 15, verse 4? If you can look that up. Thanks, brother. Okay, and then can I get someone to look up Proverbs 15, verses 1 through 2? Thank you, brother. And uh, last one, Proverbs 16, 24. You want to take that, brother? Thank you. Okay. Okay, let's look at Proverbs 15, 4. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness mm -hmm. in it breaks the spirit. Amen. Okay, and then Proverbs 15, 1 through 2. A soft answer turns away from my but a harsh word turns away from me. The tongue of the wise convinces knowledge, but the mouth of food is more like The last one, Proverbs 16, 24. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul. <clears throat> Thank you. So these are great passages that help us to understand what it looks like to be gracious in our speech. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, right? This illustration of the tree of life is often used in Scripture as a symbol of something that is life-giving or life-producing. And again, this is to say that a gentle tongue is a, is a kind of speech that builds and is productive and not the opposite, right? One that destroys or breaks one's spirit. And then Proverbs 15.1 says, uh, uh, a soft answer turns away wrath. Now you would think that one is obvious to many people, but many people think that harsh words help them to get their point across. And on the contrary, all it does is stir up anger, as the verse says. People most likely will listen to soft answers instead of harsh words. Especially in the heat of an argument, a person will tend to calm down if they see that you're willing to do the same, that you're willing to calm down as well. And, and finally, Proverbs 16, 24 tells us that the gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. And so the, the sweetness of a honeycomb, if you think about it, to our taste buds is, is sweet and it's, it's, it's pleasant. And that's a picture of when, what someone feels in their soul as gracious words are told to them. And again, this, this should fill our speech. Um, another aspect of gracious speech is the ability to speak fitting words. The ability to speak fitting words. Proverbs 15, 23. You don't have to turn to it, but you can listen. It says, to make an apt answer. Another word to say apt is a fitting answer. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man. And a word in season, how good it is. And uh, Proverbs 25, 11 says, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. And <clears throat> what these verses are communicating is that it's rare to find speech spoken by people that 
considers not only what is being said, but how it's being said, and especially the timing of when it's being said. I'd even say that a fitly spoken word also considers how much is being said. And these are all important factors to consider when speaking, right? We must guard ourselves in our speech from being inconsiderate of others. And when you speak, you have to remember that is, it's communication between two parties. It's not just you alone talking. Some people speak like if they're the only ones in the room. Uh, and we have to remember uh, the other party. Uh, and this is an area we must pray for, for wisdom. Um, and again, this is, a, this is a form of gracious speech. Let's move on to point number four. Point number four is when not to speak. When not to speak. When it comes to having wisdom in the area of the tongue, this is probably the area I think we need most wisdom in. And as we read, or as we read already in James, the tongue is, is hard to tame. It's far easier to vent words than to know and to hold back. And as much as there is to say about that topic, I'd rather just... There's so many passages in the Proverbs. I'm going to go ahead and read these passages. Um, and let's look at them. Proverbs 17, 27. Uh, and by the way, if you, if you, you... You don't have to write these down. These are on the handout. Uh, so if you want to look back at them later, or you can follow along, that's fine too. But I'm going to go through them pretty quickly. Uh, again, this is knowing when not to speak. Proverbs 17, 27 says, whoever restrains his word has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. <clears throat> Proverbs 13.3, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Proverbs 10.19, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Proverbs 11.12, whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man who understand, or a man of understanding remains silent. Then Proverbs 4.24, put away from you crooked speech and, and put devious talk from you. Far from you. Excuse me. And then Proverbs 11.12, Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense. Oh, I think I said that one already, right? Yes, I did. And the last one, Proverbs 29, 11. A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Okay. So Proverbs 17 tells us that a person who restrains his word has knowledge. And interestingly, most people would assume that if they talked a lot, it would show that they have a lot of knowledge because they have a lot to say. But this Proverbs tells us quite the opposite. Often it's the person with the least knowledge that runs their mouth. And, and, and most of what they say oftentimes proves too much about them. Now keep in mind that the Proverbs are general truths. It doesn't mean all the time that if you happen to speak a lot on one subject at a certain particular time where it is appropriate, that this means you're a fool. These are general truths. It's a way of saying, keep an eye on, on these kinds of things. Typically, when a person's talking and talking and talking, sin is not far from their lips. Uh, they're usually foolish. 
uh, they're not good listeners, all these, all these things. These are general truths that are important to keep in mind. George? Along the lines of when not to, when not to answer, the Proverbs tells us not answer a fool in his folly. That's right. And then it tells us to answer a fool in his folly. Right. So discernment is what is needed. Amen. When and where, yep. and how much, and how not. That's right. So there's discernment that's involved in that. Yes, amen, amen. Good, good point. Uh, the Proverbs 13 speak of how it's, it's often our own words that get us most in trouble. Uh, in fact, Proverbs 10.19 says that when words are many, sin is not lacking. In other words, if you, if you listen carefully and long enough to a person who is, speaks and speaks and speaks, you'll find sin somewhere in there. And this is why it is wise to guard yourself from unrestrained speaking. And interestingly... There are many people who pride themselves in speaking a lot. It's not wise to do that. Scriptures tell us that this is not something you should be proud of. Proverbs 29.11 tells us that a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Okay? And we ought to keep that in mind. And uh, finish off, let's go to point number five. Point number five, speaking like Christ. Speaking like Christ. Now, in a, in a discussion on wisdom, uh, many unbelievers can easily sit in here in this classroom and appreciate what the scriptures tell us regarding the topic of speech. For example, an unbeliever might find it useful to know that a soft word could turn down wrath. And this may even be a helpful instruction for employees in a company who work with uh, or work in customer service. However, as useful as it may be to them, they would still be missing one key element, and that is Jesus Christ. Apart from a saving relationship with Jesus, an unbeliever applying biblical wisdom in their speech is like a person who wants an apple tree deciding, deciding to take apples and stapling them to a barren tree in their backyard and then saying, ta-da. Learning how to speak well is one thing, but cultivating a heart that produces purity in your speech is a whole different thing, and that's what we're talking about. And this is why Jesus Christ must be wisdom for us. Even after all that we've learned today, uh, we may see that our speech still, even as Christians, is often filthy, deceptive, and impure. We lie to one another and we flatter one another. Uh, many of our speech is, is manipulative sometimes, and we're often ungracious to one another in our speech. And we read about Jesus and how his speech was none of those things that I spoke about, right? John 6 63 says, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. The words of Jesus Christ are spirit and life. And then John 6, 67-68 says, So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life. Jesus had the words of eternal life. And we see that Jesus spoke in a manner that was always pleasing to the Father. 
His words were always fitting and never out of place. Jesus was perfect and sinless even in his speech. And therefore, if you're an unbeliever who recognizes that what, what has come out of your mouth is a demonstration of your heart and you see that it's desperately wicked, you should turn, repent, and trust in Jesus who is the one with the words of life. And he gives a new heart to those who seek it. He can change you from the inside out. For the believers, if you're a believer, we, we have to meditate on the wisdom in Proverbs and also seek to walk in them through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus died to forgive you from your sin and your shortcoming of, of these wisdom instructions. However, we're given the Holy Spirit to empower us to speak in ways that honor Him. And so, as a demonstration of the Spirit of God dwelling in you, allow the wisdom of Proverbs to transform your heart so that your speech reflects this reality. And the New Testament is filled with passages that exhort us to that end, right? Romans 14, 19. So then, let us pursue what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Romans 15, 2. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. And this especially is related to our speech. Ephesians 5.4 Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or crude joking, which are out of character, but rather thanksgiving. Colossians 3.8 But now you must put aside all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. It's the call to the Christian. Colossians 4.6 Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Therefore encourage and build one another up, just as you all, you're already doing. We need to take these things and digest them. And even if you look awkward, right, when someone's talking to you, and you're there and you're still, and you're not moving, and your ears all up in their face, even if you look stupid when you're doing it, it's better to stop, pause, and to listen and not let your heart be hasty. Especially if God has given you the responsibility to speak to others and communicate. Um, and, and to speak in the way that, that uh, we've been instructed in the New Testament. Even if it makes you look awkward. Yes? If I can suggest a resource. Sure. There's an incredible book. It's called War of Words. And I believe it's Paul Tripp. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. As I conclude, uh, I realize that we're, in a sense, just touching the surface. This uh, teaching on the tongue, we can go far. Um, and there's just so much uh, in this subject. And so this is, in a sense, only introductory. Uh, but I pray that we would meditate on, on the theology of speech. Let that be the foundation of, of, of uh, our practice. Uh, take heart that our triune God is a God who communicates. And he's a God who's chosen to speak to us through his word. He's revealed himself to us through word. So he's a communicating God. And we ought to uh, model that and, and be an image of that to, to others. The tongue is a very serious tool. That can be easily misused, and so we, we must not take it lightly, lightly, and we have to guard our tongue and guard our speech uh, to use it for, for God's glory and His glory alone. 
Amen? Let me pray. Our Father, you are a communicating God, and we're so grateful for that. You've not left us alone with no revelation, but you've chosen to reveal yourself to us through word. And we see that you have made us in your image as communicating creatures as well. And we ask, Lord, that we would guard our tongue and use it to build each other up, that your name may be magnified and not misrepresented. And Father, we need your help. We need the help of your Holy Spirit. Convict our hearts so that our speech may be filled with your holy words. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all.